start again. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. We are strangers before you and sojourners as our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all that we may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, and 1,000 lambs with their drink offerings, and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, who has sanctified us by the scriptures, by your word, which is truth. We pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would sweeten these words in our hearts and in the hearts of our children and our children's children, that together all of us might know you and might honor you as we live out the calling that you have given to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, what a delight uh, to be with you this morning. This is the first time I've been in your new facility. Uh, can, you, can you kind of, I wanna, you know how we say see in your mind's eye? Can you kind of smell in your mind's nose what that new car smell is like? Well, your building still has it. When I walked in, I could still smell the drywall, that fresh smell of drywall. Um, Anybody here that is new to the church since we've come into the new facility? A few of you are. So you don't remember the, was it the elementary school with the big shark? Was it a shark? Do you miss the shark? No, some of you don't miss the shark. Um, how many of you go back to the environmental center? Good number of you. That was quite a nice facility as well. I mean, it was a little small. 
It was a little out of the way, but I mean, you were just out there in the middle of God's creation. Each of the facilities God has blessed you with in your history, uh, they all have a wonderful dimension, but how nice it is uh, for you to be in your own piece of property. Uh, even I didn't intend it, but the text that we read speaks of the contribution of God's people to build that place where God can dwell uh, by his spirit. And David gives thanks for that. And uh, what a wonderful thing it is to be here in your new facility. Um, very pleasant. Um, on another introductory note, do we have any veterans here? We have some veterans here. Uh, we thank God for you. And we pray God's richest blessing on you. As Glenn prayed about the freedom that we have, um, you're part of the reason why we have the freedom that we have to assemble uh, freely and publicly to worship God. And uh, we're great, very grateful for your service. Well, when I was here some time ago, I don't remember when it was, we, we studied the language of blessing. We studied the, the difference between when, when God blesses us, that is, is he empowers us, and when we return those blessings to him in the form of praise, which we've already done in one of our prayers. We're going to continue along that same theme, and we're going to, I'm, I'm going to preach this morning on doxology, in particular doxology in public worship. Uh, contemporary worship. I enjoy and, and appreciate contemporary worship. I've been in churches uh, personally with my family for over 20 years whose worship has been predominantly contemporary. Many wonderful dimensions that I enjoy about contemporary worship. Uh, traditional worship. I travel and preach in a lot of different churches and I really enjoy uh, traditional worship as well. Uh, your own worship service here has a, a kind of wonderful blend of traditional Presbyterian worship with just a hint of Anglican elements in it. Uh, I love the prayers that we use. Um, traditional worship has many marvelous dimensions. I'm not really, I really appreciate a variety of forms of worship. I'm, I'm not here to take a, you know, a, a position with regard to one style of worship or another. And as I've already said, I'm very appreciative of contemporary worship and I attend a congregation where there's contemporary worship. And I also want to say there are two things that I miss in contemporary worship that have kind of fallen by the wayside. And uh, one is the benediction. Often contemporary worship services do not close with a benediction, which is God speaking a word of blessing over the people. Maybe next time I'm invited back, I'll, we'll, I'll preach on benedictions and the, and the fact that benedictions aren't just a way of saying the service is over, go home and have roast beef. <laughs> There's a little bit more to the benediction uh, than that. The other thing that I miss is the singing of the doxology. Uh, we've sung it this morning. The singing of the Gloria. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Uh, I miss, uh, along that same line, I, I miss some of the traditional hymns. Hymns like we sang this morning. Um, I'm, I, I, 
I do find it a little bit unsettling when when we sing songs in church that I have never heard before or never sung before. There is, there is something profoundly beneficial to our spirits when we do things that are traditional. I know some people think that tradition is a four-letter word, but it is not. To be sure, tradition can be rote and mindless, but it doesn't have to be. And the use of the doxology is something that if we do it mindfully, is very powerful and beneficial to our individual spirits and to our congregational life and our relationship with God. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Uh, This is not a a textual sermon. Um, I'm not really preaching on the text that I read. I'm really going to be looking at the topic of doxology, starting with what we call the common doxology, just to see um, what it is and where it comes from and why we use it in worship that we might worship God with our minds and with our hearts and with our will, that we might learn to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, which, with everything that we have. Now, I, I'm, when, when I'm speaking of the use of the doxology in worship, I am not speaking of principle but of preference. I do not believe that the New Testament requires us to sing the doxology or any doxology in every worship service. Um, but I do want to say that, that this tradition of using the doxology is something that enriches our lives and contributes to our spirituality in this life as we do it with mind and with heart. So this morning's lesson is simply on doxologies. I'm just going to ask two questions. Can we all follow two questions? Yes? Okay, I see that even though we're in a new facility, you still know that you're allowed to talk to me when I'm preaching. So I'm allowed, we can do two questions, yes? Very good. The first question is, um, what is a doxology? We, we, th- we hear that word and we think of the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow, but what is a doxology? Well, it comes from, uh, the word doxology comes from two Greek words, doxa, which means glory or praise, and the L-O-G-Y is the same thing as in biology. Um, it's, it's word. So a doxology is simply a praise word. Uh, it's a glory word. In doxology, we are speaking to God. We are speaking a word of praise, which, by the way, the benediction is the opposite. The benediction is not us speaking to God, but God speaking a word of blessing over us through the minister. Now, the the doxology that we sang this morning is also called the common doxology. And the common doxology is distinctively Protestant. It's a Protestant creation. It was written in 1674 by an Anglican priest And originally it was the final verse in two uh, longer hymns that were written for public worship. 1674. That goes pretty far back, yes? When we sing the doxology, 
we are connecting. We are connecting with worshipers over hundreds of years. Part of, I think, what has happened in contemporary worship is much like in contemporary culture, we've been cut off from our roots. We we tend to be a relatively rootless society. How many of you were born and raised in Vero Beach? Okay, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven. We have... Uh, maybe one-fifth of us. How many born and raised in Florida? How many born and raised outside of Florida? You get my point. I grew up in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Joe Namath is from my hometown. I've lived in Philadelphia. I've lived in Washington, D.C. in two places. I've lived in Southern California. Now I'm in Florida. And I'm not unusual in our culture. I I have very little sense of rootedness, of connectedness. Worship is one place where we, as a relatively rootless society, can experience some roots, some connection. You all know to one degree or another that feeling of going home, of being home and how, how that, that security that it provides for you, that connectiveness, and something as simple as singing the doxology can do that same thing. It connects us with fellow Christians along the way going back for hundreds of years. We tend to think of our generation and maybe the next generation. My, I have four children my 16-year-old and my 21-year-old. I think they're typical of, of this current young generation. They make no plans. Annie was going to homecoming last night with some of her girlfriends. She was dressed and ready to go. And I asked her what time they were heading out. I don't know yet. Um, they just, they don't, they really live in the moment completely. Without a sense of where we have come from. Did you notice in the scripture text and in, in the song that we sang, God of our fathers. The, the prayer, God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob. A biblical spirituality lives in the moment but is not cut off from the past. We have a, prof- a biblical spirituality has a profound sense of where we've come from and what we're connected to. And singing the doxology when we do so mindfully connects us with Protestant worshipers going back to 1674, the common doxology. Now, there's another doxology that we often sing, but it's not called the doxology. It's called the Gloria or the Gloria Patria. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. This doxology is not distinctively Protestant. This is a universally Christian doxology. You will find the Gloria sung in virtually all Christian traditions. You can find the Gloria now in multiple modern languages. The English version goes back again to the uh, Anglican Common Book of Prayer, 1549. It's older, 
than what we call the common doxology. So when we sing the Gloria, we're connecting with a history and a breadth of Christians throughout the world going back another 100 years, 125 years to 1549. But of course, unlike the common doxology, the Gloria was not written in English by an Anglican. It was translated into English from Latin. And we can trace the Latin version back to before 500 A.D. Believers throughout the world have been singing the Gloria in Latin and then in English and in multiple languages for uh, somebody do the math. That's 1500 years, give or take for 1500 years. When we sing the Gloria, we are connecting because remember, although we are in time and in space, God is not. I don't know. I'm not real good with numbers. How many are here this morning? Give me a ballpark figure. What? 90? Okay. As we sang the doxology, as we sing the Gloria, we're not only 90. Not only are we singing together with saints throughout the world today, we're connecting with saints who have gone before us. We're part of a long tradition of God's people going back to before 500. But of course, the Gloria wasn't written in Latin. The Latin was a translation. It was originally written in Greek. And the Greek version goes back to somewhere around 200. We're getting close to the apostolic age. When we sing glory be to the Father, we're almost connecting with the worship of the apostles in our tradition. And that is something that brings stability and health and vibrancy to our spirituality when we realize that our worship, while it is fresh, while it is new, while it is bright like the light coming through the windows, while it's very contemporary, it is something that is very deeply rooted in tradition, connecting us with Christians of all traditions throughout the world for some 2,000 years. The doxology, what is it? It's a word of blessing, a word of praise from the church to God. The common doxology, we've been using it for hundreds of years. The Gloria, we've been using as God's people for a couple of thousand years. We don't want to lose these dimensions of worship from our communal experience. And we want to use them with a richer understanding and with greater spiritual insight. So one question, what is a doxology? What's the answer? It's a word of, it's a word of praise. Now, the, the second question to look at is, where do doxologies come from? Why was the 
common doxology written? Why was the Gloria translated from Latin into English and into all these other languages? Why did early Christians translate the Gloria from Greek into Latin? Why was the Gloria written in Greek in the first place? Where's this tradition come from? Can answering that question root us even deeper in the piety of God's people and in the grand worshiping community? Well, three things. Where do doxologies come from? Well, they come from the New Testament. In other words, the early church was writing things like the Gloria because they were following a New Testament tradition. For example, Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27, words that close the book of Romans. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel. See, it's a word directed to God. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. So that all nations might believe and obey in him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. See that word of praise, that word of blessing. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. How did Paul conclude the writing of the book of Romans? He concluded it with doxology. And the early church picked that up and began to use doxology in their public worship. Or think of another common one, Jude 24 through 25. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. The ending of the book of Jude, like the ending of Romans with doxology. Now, often it's often uh, as I've traveled through churches, pastors will have the congregation stand at the end of the worship service that they might pronounce the benediction. And what they actually use is Jude 24 through 25, which is not a benediction, because in a benediction, who is speaking to whom? God is speaking to us. But in doxology, what's the direction of speech? It's the other way around. Jude is not a benediction. Jude is a doxology, as in Romans, to, Romans to the only wise God. Jude to the only God. You, you can see how the language is similar. Romans to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Jude to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Very similar. Because as we're going to see in a moment, this New Testament tradition, Paul, um, Jude, they were drinking from the same well. Where, do, where, does, where does our tradition of using doxology come from? It comes from the New Testament. And just note that in both of these cases, doxology concludes a teaching section, the teaching of Romans, the teaching of the book of Jude. But let's go back another step. Why did Paul, why did the apostolic church, why did these early Christians use doxology? 
Where'd they get that idea from? In other words, where's the New Testament tradition of using doxology in worship coming from? And the answer is the Old Testament, too quick. Okay, let me ask you a question. Before there were churches, when churches were just starting to emerge, when the Apostle Paul was going from city to city to preach, where was he doing his preaching? In the synagogue, because he was a, he was a Jew. Where does the New Testament tradition of doxology come from? It comes from the synagogue. Because the first Christians were Jews. And where were they used to worshiping? In the synagogue. And so the New Testament church's worship was highly informed by the worship of the Jewish community in the synagogue. There are, um, I have, um, I've joked with my students because I, I didn't grow up using a prayer book of any kind. Have any of you grown up with a prayer book in, in your church tradition? Uh, a few of us have. Most of us think that prayer and spontaneity go hand in hand. And if it's not spontaneous, it's not praying. Uh, I grew up where there were no formal prayers, no read prayers at all. Um, I grew up in a, in a tradition that maybe some of you have uh, on, on Wednesday nights. Remember Wednesday night prayer meeting? That's a thing of the past. Yes. Remember Wednesday night prayer meeting? Uh, we would go, we'd sing a hymn. There'd be a very short devotional and then there would be some requests. And then the, the pastor would say, OK, now let's pray. And in our tradition, when the pastor said pray, we didn't take turns. When the pastor said pray, what did we all do? We all prayed together silently or out loud, out loud. We all prayed simultaneously and we all prayed out loud. Uh, Koreans still, Korean Presbyterians still pray this way. Uh, you take requests and then everybody starts to pray and we think, well, that's cacophony. But I guess God's able to process. He, I mean, he has a, a something that's not like a microprocessor. It's like a macro processor. He can process all of those prayers simultaneously. He's infinite. Um, so I didn't grow up with rote prayers. So I, I, I joke with my students and say, of late, I've been using the prayer book in my own devotions. And then I say, but not the Anglican prayer book. I've been using the synagogue prayer book. And uh, I've been I've been God has taught me some wonderful lessons through the synagogue prayer book. Um, and one of those lessons is how much blessing, how much praise of God takes place in the context of the synagogue service. And there is a particular prayer that is called the Kaddish. It's a word for holy, for sanctify. And it goes like this in, in one form of it. Blessed and praised, glorified and exalted, raised and honored, uplifted and lauded. Be the name of the Holy One. Blessed be he beyond all blessing. Song, praise, and consolation uttered in the world and say, Amen. Notice how the New Testament doxologies ended with what word? Amen. Notice how the Kaddish, the doxology in the synagogue service ends with the word, Amen. Uh, many of our older hymns in the old hymn books, almost all hymns ended by what? Amen. Now the amens have 
fallen by the wayside. They occur once in a while, but even in the Trinity hymnal, they're not, the amen is not there uh, more than it was there. Uh, I used to sing in the choir in church. And uh, when I was a pastor, I, I think I was insane at that time. I, I think I've recovered. But I was in a traditional Presbyterian church, so I taught Sunday school. I preached in the morning. Um, I sang in the choir. I went to choir practice at 5 o'clock. And then I preached again on Sunday night. And then I had midweek prayer meeting. So I go back to the, uh, to the good old days, right? Well, I, I, uh, I did enjoy it very much. But I used to love to sing like the fivefold amen the threefold amen, the sixfold amen, uh, just beautiful. And notice that the in the synagogue, the Kaddish, the doxology, plays one of the same roles that it does in the New Testament. That is, it comes at the conclusion of a teaching section. All that goes to say is a number of factors show us that the New Testament apostles, when they were incorporating doxology, they weren't creating something out of nothing they were seeing the importance of rooting Christian worship in its history, where we had come from. And so elements that come right out of the synagogue are found in the apostolic churches and found in Christian tradition. So where do these doxologies come from? Well, from the 1600s. No, from the 1500s. No, from about 500, Latin Gloria. No, from about 200. No, they go further back into the synagogue, which takes us back to, in its origins, somewhere maybe around the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Maybe now we're back to 400 B.C. And our use of the doxology of the Gloria is connecting us now with... with we are part of a long, rich tradition. God has been at work faithfully preserving worshipers through all of these years. And we're still part of that. How glorious that we are not just 90 people that have come from nowhere and are heading nowhere. You're connected. You're connected to that long train of saints that God has been so faithful to throughout the years. Faithful to preserve the worship of his own name. But when the synagogue was being formed, and the, the, the formation of the synagogue is not very clear. Um, we do know that before is Judah went into the Babylonian captivity, before the destruction of the temple, we do know that, that God planned to have Levites spread throughout the whole country. And among other things, Levites were teachers. And the Levites would have assembled people in all likelihood on the Sabbath. And they would have done things like sing a psalm, have the scriptures read, pray, have a Levite teach the people from the scriptures. Kind of sounds like a Protestant worship service. Those kinds of things would have been taking place. And of course, then when the temple was destroyed then the synagogue would have taken on a much higher profile in the lives of God's Old Testament uh, saints and the saints in between the Testament so that by the time we come to the uh, New Testament, Jesus is at home in the synagogue. The apostles are at home in the synagogue. So even though it's a little bit mysterious as to exactly where and when the synagogue was formed, uh, the synagogue was formed sometime in its 
early stages, probably before Ezra and Nehemiah. So we're now back in a tradition that reaches to 400 B.C. But when the synagogue was was taking shape and and when people were deciding what to include in the synagogue and what not to include, because the synagogue is not a biblical institution. There's no place where you read in the Bible where God told the people to assemble in the synagogue or what to do when they did assemble. So under the under the guidance of the word of God and the spirit of God, people were making decisions about what to include and what not to include. And one of the things that the synagogue included was the use of doxology. And I wonder why. Where'd they get that idea from? Now our answer is the Old, the Old Testament. Our use of doxology is rooted in the New Testament which is rooted in the worship in the synagogue. And the synagogue got this idea of doxology out of the Old Testament. We read doxology when we read that text from 1 Chronicles 29. But since you know how much I love the Psalms, I got to bring the Psalms into this sermon a little bit, yes? The book of Psalms, in its ancient Hebrew form, is divided into five books. Book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. And how do we, if you just open up your book of, uh, your Bible to Psalm one, for example, right before Psalm one, it'll say book one, one to 42. And if we ask, why do we divide the book of Psalms up the way we do? The answer in one word that starts with D is D-O. There we go. It is doxology. In other words, the book of Psalms is punctuated with doxology. These are the last words of book one from Psalm 41, 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalm 72, 18 through 19, the end of book two. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Psalm 89, 53, the end of book three. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Psalm 106, 48, the end of book four. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say... Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, just notice how all of these doxologies end with Amen. How did the synagogue doxology end? Amen. How do the New Testament doxologies end? This is a deep tradition. And and Amen does not just mean it's over. Amen means It's firm, and I agree with it. I'm connecting myself to this. That's a very deep tradition that we have lost, even in traditional worship from much of our hymnody, but we still do preserve it. Let me just think. Do we say amen when we sing the doxology? We do. How about the Gloria? We do. At least in the doxology and the Gloria, we preserve this tradition that now goes all the way back 
into the Old Testament. Now we're back to David and 1000 B.C. So you see, when, when we as a contemporary church, and remember, I'm very appreciative of, cont- of, of contemporary worship. But that doesn't mean I can't be reflective. And when we give up things like the doxology and the gloria, we are cutting ourselves off from a river that has been flowing for 3,000 years. And when we sing the doxology, when we sing the gloria, we are part of a long train of the worshipers of the true and living God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. And now we're back to almost 2000 B.C. 4,000 years of biblical tradition. We are not rootless. Zero Mostel was right. That's an illusion that probably goes by many of us. What was Zero Mostel famous for? What role did he play? Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof. And what was his answer? Tradition. And uh, again, some traditions... We could go without, but some traditions play such a valuable role in our spirituality, in our rootedness. As we reflect on this, one thing that I hope is the case, and that is in the future, as you have the privilege in worship from time to time of singing things like the doxology, like the Gloria. You'll do that in a way that you have never done it before. Because you will realize the depth and the breadth of a tradition in the worship of God that goes back to the 1500s, 500, 200, New Testament, 400 B.C., 1000 B.C., 2000 B.C. But there's one final thing in conclusion. And that is that our use of doxology in worship not only connects us with this long train of God's people worshiping God on earth. It connects us with the worship of God in heaven. Revelation chapter 5 says they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures angelic and the elders human the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. When in the beginning the earth first came into existence, you were there. Before anything was, you were there. A God of all glory and worthy to receive glory and honor and blessing and praise. And we bless you for the privilege that you have granted to us to be part of the worshiping community of your people who forever rise to say, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. We bless you for the privilege of joining our voices in doxology and connecting our voices with saints throughout the world and throughout time and joining our voices not only with people on the earth, but with the angels in heaven now and forevermore. Thank you that we are not cut adrift, but that our lives are rooted. Not simply rooted in the singing of doxology, but even more deeply rooted in you, whose name we praise in doxology. May it be your will to bless us that we might bless you. May it be your will to bless us that through us others might be blessed and in turn they would bless you. Thank you for the privilege of week by week assembling for your praise and thank you for the hope of joining that heavenly community Thousands upon thousands and 10,000 upon 10,000 from every people group on the earth and with the angels themselves to worship you. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen.